Learner's Corner podcast. This is a podcast for lifelong learners where we learn about different people, organizations, events, and topics. My name is Caleb Mason, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Todd Hicksonbaugh, and today we're going to be talking about uh, and learning about the organization of Disney. So Disney is an organization that Caleb and I have um, just avid, we're avid fans of, and we love a lot of the things they do. Um, and so what we did is we, we were like, boy, wouldn't it be cool to talk about Disney? But neither of us consider ourselves true experts. So we brought in a couple guys who, who, who do kind of embody that expert mentality, and they just know ridiculous amounts um, about Disney. And so their names are Gabriel Miller, um, and I work with Gabriel at the church that I'm currently employed at. And, and, and then the other guy's name is Kyle Leslie. And they've been friends for a long time. And these two guys, um, they know a ridiculous amounts of information about the organization of Disney. Now, for a lot of people, we think of Disney as like the amusement parks and all of the things like that, that that you can do. Or we think of them as the movies. But these guys really talk about Disney as a business and all of the things that they do with it. They talk about history. They talk the, the, the history of Disney, where it kind of came from. They talk about... Um, different time periods within Disney, and they really give a really great, um, just not uh, breadth of knowledge to the entire topic of Disney. Yeah, just really, just a great overview of Disney and some of the things that they've had to overcome. And um, they, we talk about some of their favorite movies for Disney and everything. Um, they've been to the parks quite a few times, and so we're really excited to bring you this conversation today. And we're going to jump into that conversation right now. Well, welcome to the podcast, Gabriel Miller and Kyle Leslie. Hi, how's it going? Hey. Um, really happy to be here and express my love of Disney with people. Uh, You're just making this awkward. Thanks. It's awesome. <laughs> it, <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I go to Akron University, uh, mechanical engineer, fifth year, um, and me and Gabe have been friends since, since 98. Preschool. So almost 20 years, and... Dang. Yeah, it's been a long time. <laughs> oh my god, a long time. Um, yeah, I, and I mean, I've been kind of on Disney, you know, since I was you know little. It's one of the first things I remember is first movie, first you know Halloween costume, all that stuff just was revolved around the Disney, cool. the Disney brand. Yeah, awesome. Gabriel, what about you? Well, uh, I graduated from Malone University. Um, I was a double major in music and also in Bible and theology. So, I mean, as you notice, like Kyle and I, like neither of us really have any like, uh, business major or really anything that pertains to Disney. It's just like, we're just huge fanatics of grown up, um, following the business. Um, myself personally, I didn't really start getting into it until about high school, which is kind of strange, but I love the movies growing up. Yeah. I think I pushed um, him. Yeah, I think I, I think I, he did. Steered him more I in a Disney direction. I always tell people that, and I told you that too. That like <coughs> anything I learned, I'd probably learn from Kyle, or you know, some other segue through. Him. Yeah, if you, if you have something um, you're interested in, you, you want someone who you can talk. Yeah, you want to tell someone about yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And if no one cares, you got to find <laughs> someone who does. Which is why I'm sure people get annoyed with us all yeah, the time we, every time. Yeah, we, we go on hours on this stuff. So I, I think I slowly worked, you know, brought yeah. more into his world, so he that did. I had someone that was more of my level because I've I've never met someone. But, the background was already there. I mean, I just yeah. love the movies and the music. As, as someone who's always been invested and um, just kind of impassioned with music, the, Disney was an obvious answer to that just because, you know, they have great music. Oh, they have great history. Just... Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, it was just kind of growing up with the movies, and eventually, like as I started, as Kyle really started telling <laughs> me about like it, it as a whole, as Disney as a whole, as a business, as an enterprise, it was like all the more interesting to me. So, so um, we're not going to hold you to this, but what is like your current favorite Disney movie? Oh, that's so easy for me. I know exactly what it is. You. You don't know yours? No, no, I have an answer, but go uh, ahead. You want me to go first? Yeah. It's always been Hunchback of Notre Dame. Okay, mm-hmm. like, I know a lot of people, every time I tell them that, they're just like, what? Like, why? But I think anytime you have Alan Menken and Steven Schwartz team up, it's it, it just equals perfection. So, like, the music in Hunchback of Notre Dame, to me, is, is almost, and I say almost because... There are some other Disney movies that might rival it, but I think it's almost just untouchable. The lyricism is like a woven uh, heart. It's so it's good. Complex words that are more adult, and it's a more of adult themed movie yeah. too. I think the reason people don't like it is because it's because of that. It's so adult themed. It's like this is mm-hmm. not really a movie for kids. I mean, it's it's no. got one of the darkest. Yeah, and villains, it sits inside arguably. that that era with the Lion King's Aladdin's Beauty and Beast, which is very very yeah. bright. Very kid-friendly. And, and also and, huge movies, so they probably overshadow Yeah, and then this terms. comes in kind of on that darker tone. And, you know, talking about hell, hell, damn, nation, and all that stuff. And yeah. really is a different turn. But and I think I think that's the that's a chance they took and they you know, tried something a little bit different. And mm-hmm. really, I think really is a piece of art instead of just a fun, oh, yeah. whimsical musical. And as I've grown up, I've realized that too because it has a lot of themes of like uh, social justice in it too. Mm-hmm. Like about helping the outcasts yeah. and and um, uh, about seeing more than what's just on the surface. So yeah, it's a beautiful movie. Um, yeah. It was, it's kind of under wraps. Like I mean, a lot of critics didn't like it, but I, you know, I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. I what's think, yours? I think mine, I'm going to have to default out of the, out of all 55 movies, we're talking about animated or see that's the thing. Yeah, we, I can go, <laughs> I can go into live action, animated. You know, if we're going off the branches, you know, Lucasfilm, Pixar, Marvel. Like, how big are we going here? I usually just kind of when it comes to, like your favorite Disney movie, I just think of the animated ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm gonna my answer is gonna be Pocahontas. I knew you were gonna say that. I mean, cause it's first, it's the first movie I ever saw. <laughs> also, Alan Menken and Steven Schwartz. Right, probably. that was the, yeah, the the precursor to the Hunchback. And who are those? Who are these guys? You keep talking about Alan Menken is. Uh, Beautiful composer, one of the best in the world. Composer. He's he's yeah. one he's won more competitive Oscars than any living. Person. He's the only the living. Yeah. he has yeah, more that. competitive Oscars um, for all the Disney movies than anyone else living. Uh, he just killed. I mean, all, most of your you know childhood Disney movies, mm-hmm. you know, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid. Um, That's all him. Pocahontas, yeah, Hunchback, Hunchback. You know the and Tangled. You know, coming up into more early or recent stuff. It's it's him oh, composing. Wow! So mm-hmm. he he has really strong ties with the Disney brand, and then um, Stephen Schwartz is a composer lyricist who you know worked. He's Broadway, Big, mm-hmm. Wicked. He's written um, thing like he's famous for Godspell. He wrote that musical okay. lyrics and yeah. music by himself. Pippin, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he's really famous for being a lyricist. I mean, like with with Hunchback and also uh, Prince of Egypt is a big mm-hmm. one. I like that movie. Yeah, even that's not Disney. Um, still, but I know still it's still a movie. great movie yeah. uh, and a great lyrics. Like I mean, he's he's just he's really brilliant yeah, at so finding them, that. Them two are like one of those teams, and there's a lot of those in, in terms of like the musical movies, where there's that composer lyricist duo that really kills it. Mm-hmm. And on, more than not, Alan Menken is on the composer side of that team. Yeah, Hercules. More li- he's he's been less so lately, which kind of saddens. Yeah, me. Yeah, well, with the. But, 
with the popularity of Frozen. Yeah. And the, when the Lopez's came in and that thing just exploded. Yeah. I think they started, they, they changed it up a little bit. Because he did Tangled. Mm-hmm. And which was, I would consider that a success. I mean, I love that movie. Yeah. Like, of the, of the more modern of, Disney animation films, that's, that's my, my favorite. favorite. Totally but, agree. But if I had to go, deep, I had to go, you know, like, the core, it'd be the first one I ever saw. You know, Pocahontas, two, wasn't even two years old yet when that came out, when I saw it. <laughs> um, just right down the street in the movie, Movies 4 theater, which is where the... Um, that's awesome. That those stores that what was it? Kirkwood Furniture Store. Oh yeah, it's is like right, right now. Yeah, right there. Yeah, remember saw it as a kid to give it away. Or and it was right before my sister was born, like like a month before I stopped being an only child. So it was like the last thing I did. <laughs> that was your last hurrah. Yeah, as an only as an only yeah, child. Yeah, and and I had when I was well probably two and a half when they came out on video. And we, I would you know as a kid you had that one movie you play always always yeah. on. And I was always Pocahontas, and I had a sword that had like little jewels in the in the handle and the hilt, which kind of looked like the sword that yeah. that Governor Ratcliffe has. And I had this piece of paper, and I would reenact that scene. I would just stab a piece of paper in the living room while the movie was playing, and That's I was awesome. just, I was just you know so in on it. And um, mm-hmm. there's a really good video of me and my cousin. We're both eating Cheetos, watching The Lion King, and. And I'm sitting, you can, I, have, I have not taken my eyes off that movie. I'm, I'm just sitting there going, just constantly staring. And my cousin's just looking at me going, oh, we'll steal some of his Cheetos. And then I look down, <laughs> I just reach down, I go, they're gone. I was, I was so into the movie, you know, at, what's that, 95, so it's probably four, three or four years old. And I just, mm-hmm. I just can't take my eyes off of it. That's hilarious. I'm really glad you said Pocahontas, too, because when I said that, like, uh, Hunchback is arguably the best score... The second one in my mind was Pocahontas. Yeah. Well, just they, because they deal with those it, deeper, you know, those things. Ge- it is so deep. It's like genocide. Pocahontas is it's kind of the same thing. It's that early precursor to yeah. taking over and someone. He's and really, she's, she's talking about you know, living with the land yeah. and loving things and not trying to conquer them. And Stephen Schwartz is just really good at like, um, not wordsmithing, but like phrase smithing, you know? Like, I mean, there's that line at the end of Colors of the Wind that's like, you can own the earth, and still, all you'll own is earth. Yeah. Until you can paint with colors. I mean, that's that's it's, poetry. It is really good poetry in it, but it's just like I don't know. It's it is really beautiful. But there's one song in particular at the end of that movie that is my favorite Alan Menken piece to this day. Is the the farewell farewell score at the very yeah at oh, the very so end of the movie. It's like as John Smith is you know leaving on the ship and builds she like runs to say goodbye it's ah it's just so there's just like orchestra hit after orchestra hit so powerful gorgeous it's really anyway that book ends that movie <laughs> we could talk about this yeah for hours, should, so we should probably just make a podcast just on disney movies we should move on <laughs> you, you can go each branch of the disney family and we could talk for hours on it for sure okay awesome. so how many times have you guys been to the disney parks and you can classify like this many times to disneyland this many times to disney world and so on and so forth. Well, I'll start with to say I've been at Disneyland twice because I can actually remember that and count that. Um, the first trip we had, Kyle and I took together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they, it was the um, the 60th anniversary. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's cool. And for the so 50th anniversary, ago. they had you know they, they they really go all out for those big temple anniversaries. Mm-hmm. So I knew that the six years would be just as big, if not bigger. And I was like, okay, we've been talking about this for you know a couple of years, but this is the year. We need to go because they're gonna have they're it's gonna they're gonna be their you know tip top, you know their game is gonna be so strong you know all these fireworks parades you know 
decorations. It's going to be the time you want to go. So I was like, I was like, we're making an effort, and he didn't really have a choice. <laughs> He's like, I don't really have the money. I'm like, I don't care. We're going. It's true. That's what happened. And then I'm going another time uh, in the same year because <laughs> it was such a it was such a great experience. All the the decorations. So yeah, mm-hmm. I've been to Disneyland twice as well. To talk a little more about that experience, I got to go within two different like uh, time periods. So I saw the um, 60th anniversary celebration year. And then I went after that was over, too. Whereas you went twice within that time. Right. So I saw basically the same thing. Right. I went back and, like, um, I don't want to say I was disappointed because that's not the right word. But, like, it was very different. Just, like, the first time I went, the 60th anniversary was incredible. Yeah, it was um, just a big party. The, the parades and, and shows, fireworks. Yeah, it was great. Um, but then you but, went back during Halloween time, right? Yeah, it so was during Halloween time. So there's have, still something going on. I mean, on. when Disney decorates, they, they decorate. Oh, yeah, it, it was so still you, beautiful. It's always nice to go during a time of the holidays because um, it really, it's a really different experience. Mm-hmm. So, But it was it was the uh, Paint the Night Parade that I missed the most. Oh, I was just yeah. like, ah, I want that back. And, yeah. But, it you know, we'll get glimpses of it again. Yeah. Well, okay, so going on to Disney World, I mean, how many times have you been there? Because I'm going to have to start counting. I actually don't know because there, there's been... You were been, a kid, right? You've gone a the first times. time I went was when I was like, you know, barely a year old. And then I went again when I was like seven. And then I went again my senior year of high school. And ever since then, I've been at least once a year. But sometimes twice. And sometimes it's been like... Imp- <laughs> <laughs> that's why I've lost count. But sometimes twice. <laughs> because, well, that's what I'm saying I lost count because some have been like impromptu or even surprise trips. Like, hey, for your birthday, we're going to Disney World. I'm like, what? So, I, I yeah, I kind of stopped counting. I, I would say it's been about ten, at least. It's been at least ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I got my number at nine. Um, three of those were last year. You went three wait, times in a year, which was a little extreme, I'll admit. <laughs> yeah. But I went in February, August, and December. Is junior year of high school, not senior. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a little extreme. Well, and then I went to Disneyland last year too. So I went to four parks. I went there. I went to Disney four times last year, just in 2016. And it's been more scattered before that, but that was, it was a really crazy year because I just came into a lot of money and I was like, "Let's go on vacation." So <laughs> anytime I had a break from school, I was like, "Let's go somewhere." And so I'd always find someone who's like, "Oh, you haven't been to Disney? Well, you know, we'll go I'll go that. with you." <laughs> yeah. I would like to amend my previous statement and say I think I've been eight times after now having thought about individual trips. He's literally, you guys can't see I'm, him, but he's like literally counting yeah, on his hands. I, like, okay. And yeah. that might not even be accurate. I'm trying to think with the different people I've been with. And I've been with <laughs> Gabe. We've gone to Disney World three times. Together, yeah. yes. Three times. And one time to Disneyland. And once to Disneyland. I know, it's so <laughs> weird. Once again. Yeah, so my, next goal, my next goal is no, no U.S. parks for 20 Seventeen. My my next one is Paris. That's my goal. So that, that you're officially not coming with me this summer, then, dude. I'm, I'm going to be in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you're going back in June, mm-hmm. That's and crazy. and I plan on being in Europe in June. So while I'm there, I'm, I'm just going to see if I can sneak into uh, you know convince my group to go to Disneyland Paris. By sneak in, he means pay for it still. Yeah. So, but now I, now I can try something a little bit different instead of just yeah, these, just so you're in the clear. These six here. <laughs> Okay, so what would be um, a couple of things about, like, Disney in general that most people don't know about? I'm sure you could think Mm -hmm. of a lot, but just give us, like, three or four. Well, 
I mean, you think of Disney, you think of the movies, and you think of you know the songs that you sing as a kid, and all that stuff is ingrained. But I mean, Disney is is a, a big and growing business, super huge, and they own they own things that you wouldn't even that you you, you just assume are some company, but That's, they're owned by this you know family friendly, you know like um, just one of the things I think most mostly surprised people is ESPN. Yeah, you know this big sports thing is is a Disney owned company, um, and stuff like that. I think, That's where my mind went to first. Yeah, was I think most of the down. other things are pretty kind of obvious. Like, oh, they also own Pixar? I'm not surprised. Well, ABC, um, but I think a lot of people know that too. Yeah, even. yeah. And um, they own, well, they also own like A&E television, like Lifetime yeah. really? Channel, History Channel. Well, they, mm-hmm. uh, they co-own those ones. They have a lot of co-owns. Mm-hmm. They, they co-own Hulu. They have a stake in Hulu. I, I actually didn't yeah. even know that. They have yeah See? so, and they just made a deal with Hulu <laughs> to release their f- animated films on that platform. Nice. So like uh, uh, they'll be pumping out a lot from the Disney Vault onto Hulu. Well, I, I knew about the deal they made with Netflix. Yeah. I didn't know that they yeah. co-owned Hulu. Yeah. They have a deal with Netflix too. A deal. I, I don't so think there's have, any ownership a, involved with. They that, have a no. They have an old, old film deal with Hulu, and they have a new the new film deal with um, Netflix. So oh, like man, I'm gonna need every Hulu. every Disney that comes out. Its first location for on for streaming platforms will be Netflix. So like you start seeing like Civil War, Jungle Book, they came out like last month on a Netflix, and like you'll start you'll see Moana, Finding Dory, and eventually Rogue One should come to Netflix as, as well. I don't know how long they'll stay, but they that will be their first their first place, and then they might you know then that contract might expire to go somewhere else. But so the old stuff will go to Hulu, which is at least we have somewhere because mm. it's hard to find yeah. all those Disney movies. You know, online. It's true. Yeah, I don't really know what else. What else is surprising about Disney? I mean, I was trying to think of things too, and like, yeah, my my mind immediately jumped to their ownership of things. Yeah. I mean, I think I think a lot of people forget about their um, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, just because like. But I think what's confu- mostly confusing about that is like what characters they have the rights to and which ones they yeah. don't. Like, well, s- some people think that like Disney owns all things Marvel. That's not necessarily. Well, yeah, true. they own them. They s- before they bought Marvel, there was already contracts in place where they had characters licensed out to the studios. The whole Spider-Man thing. Spider-Man, right. yes, but also Wolverine and the uh, whole the whole X-Men. Uh, yeah, um, even the word mutant. Deadpool, is. for example. Like yeah. I heard a lot of people, and this is like one of my pet peeves. I heard a lot of people saying like, "Oh, it's the first rated R Disney movie because it's." it's and I'm like, yeah. "No, it it, it isn't. No, no, it's it's just yeah, it's just two companies that made a deal. One just happens to be owned by Disney. Yeah, I mean, Disney does that. With, I mean, they own tons of companies that are like that. You know, mm-hmm. which is why you see if you ever saw Deadpool, that's why there's all those copyright jokes in the movie. Like, yeah, I don't know if anyone caught on to that, but. Yeah, they don't own or they don't. Yeah, they don't have rights to. I didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, and that and that even goes, and you know you can throw that go to go to the parks in that, where Marvel made a deal with Universal, um, for licensing the product in the parks. Mm-hmm. So Disney can't do any well. Disney can't do Marvel stuff in their East Coast parks. So anything east of the Mississippi. But out west, like they're pumping, they're they're creating whole new lands for Marvel, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Because I mean, this is a big brand; they really want to yeah. push it, but they can't really push it over here as much. They're, they're sprinkling in whatever they can. Very I was going to say, there's fine lines because every once in a while, I've I've seen a Marvel character. They they have characters. They've had the Guardians of the Galaxy. They've had Doctor Strange, I think, and they've had maybe someone from the Avengers, but not very much over here. Um, even they had 
their monorail system, they had one of the monorails decked out with Marvel. I think it was the Iron Man 3 came out. They had it all decorated up and, and promoting the film. And that monorail could not... There, there's two... There's um, Well, there's three monorail lines, but one goes inside of a park, and the other, the other one kind of stays outside. And that monorail had to be on the outside loop because it couldn't literally go into the park because that would be, that would be violating contract. Yeah. the contract. You couldn't have Marvel inside the park, so they had to keep that one on the outside loop. That's um, funny. Mm. That's crazy. So they're walking this, yeah. they're walking this mm-hmm. weird line with like what they own but don't have rights to. Mm-hmm. Disney is really brilliant about flirting with that contract line, Which too. gets really confusing. It does get confusing. And Disney holds a lot of power because after the Amazing Spider-Man 2 didn't do as well, you know, they kind of, like, started butting up against Sony, who owns the rights to... Who has rented the rights to Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And went, hey, if you bring them over to, you know, back over here, maybe we can, you know, do something good with them. So they, they made a deal for their own character to bring them back into the Marvel Universe, which is just kind of this weird, you know, contractual side. Yeah. That just makes it super confusing. Yeah. Weird, but insanely awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Because I loved whenever Spider-Man showed up in Civil War. Yeah, oh, was, well, and they did it so well too. A lot of people are glad about that just because they feel like they're gonna get some redemption for like Spider-Man's my favorite superhero. Oh, he has been since I was too. you know like mm-hmm. five years old. Um, so many things that are iconic about him, and like I yeah, I've been hurting for a few years now just because I want to see that character get redeemed, and I feel like that's finally gonna happen. Um, so I know a lot of people are excited about that. Yeah, I remember Todd and I watched the Amazing Spider-Man two together, and I remember just leaving the theater just devastated. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh, I know. Oh, no, yeah, like, no. that was that was. No, I like Andrew Garfield, but that was bad. Right, yeah. and and I've had a couple friends. The Spider-Man Homecoming is coming out in July, I believe, mm-hmm. and every time there's a trailer or a commercial on, I have a friend that goes, "When are they going to stop?" Making new Spider-Mans, and I go until they get it right. <laughs> it's true, and it looks like true. they looks like they're starting but, to hit a good one here. But I hear also they're going to do away with the origin story. Um, well, they already kind of hinted at that. Kind of, they did hint at so it, but we I really like don't that need it yeah. because how many times have we heard that now? Yeah, with every remake of Spider-Man, Just keep going back. It's like, and like we hear the that is the most well-known origin story. I'm yes. sure. So they did a good way where they just hinted at it and was like, oh yeah, oh, yeah. blah blah blah, and then they just moved right along and and you know threw him into a battle. And I'm really excited for. I think he he portrays Peter Parker. Yeah, and he's really a young mean. kid. He's actually in he's, high he's school. He's nerdy, which yeah. I appreciate. Yeah, he's young. Like he's not like a twenty-five-year-old trying to play a seventeen-year-old high schooler. Yeah, so honestly, weird. Andrew, yeah. Andrew Garfield is too. He's too pretty. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah, he's, he's a pretty boy. He's mm-hmm. he's not I mean, a Peter he's Parker. Thirty years old. He's a he's a fully developed man. And yeah, he's trying to. And it's like that just looks weird. <laughs> doesn't doesn't work. Yeah, like that doesn't just work looks as well. Weird. I mean, this is giving it that young charm and innocence. Yeah. That Spider-Man kind of has, and then you know when he puts that mask on, he's gotta be a bigger man, mm-hmm. you know, more of an adult. Mm-hmm. And he's witty. Like, yeah, no, Spider-Man is witty. This one brought back too. They're making this one a fun, goofy kid. I mean, the whole battle in Civil War, he was just talking to him. Yeah, and he was like having fun. They're like, why doesn't and this they're kid like, they're shut like, up? Do you realize you don't? We don't talk this much in battle. And he's, and he's new to this whole thing. You know, he's just he's oh, so yeah. excited. It just comes. It comes across, and yeah, that's. I remember at that moment, like leaning in to tell my girlfriend, I was like, oh, "He's perfect at this." Yeah, he's no, perfect. they they did a good job. I mean, they're just killing it with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's another comment that I wanted to make really quick is just that Disney knows what their audience wants. Yeah. And they they gave them what they, they really want. do, and that's why they're so mm-hmm. successful with the Star Wars franchise too, gonna, because they knew 
with episode seven, they knew exactly what everyone wanted. They, oh, they, wanted they this nostalgic, you know, recall and, and of they, the original trilogy. And they worked hard to keep that movie under wraps until oh, yeah. like a week before it came out because they wanted you to be like, you know, curious and excited, but not like spoiled and stuff like that. Mm. So they they did a really good job of of keeping everything covered until the big reveal, mm-hmm. and then the movie just exploded and, and was a, just a worldwide phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And, and that, sorry, go ahead. And then Rogue One. You know, it will probably hit a billion by Sunday. My, my, I think so. Which is called, you know, that's an instant success as well for the spinoff of mm-hmm. the Skywalker, the Skywalker um, saga, um, which which was their risk. You know, yeah. And if this tanked, then you know we'd see eight, nine, ten, mm-hmm. and nothing else. To, but. to be specific, Skywalker saga is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Anything that isn't that is, yeah, is this, a spinoff. This is yeah. This is a. Spinoff because it doesn't focus on any of the Luke or Leia's mm-hmm. or Hans or Chewbacca's or anything like that. It's just this whole a new group. story. Yeah, it's a new Completely. story. It's great. They, yeah, they call it the, a Star Wars story for that reason because it's just a story. Which is also why it was so different from yeah number different. yeah, yeah, Rogue One, yeah cinematically. Rogue One. Oh, yeah, and, I, and I loved it for that. I yeah. loved the way they used those characters and the, the the story and how off of just a grain of rice of an idea they just grew into this just beautiful intense intense movie yeah well what you guys were talking about kind of leads into our next question of why disney is so successful and you guys were talking a little bit about it is they know their audience so well yeah yeah yeah, they have so many arms but they they all they all line up so like they'll get you as a kid with the kid movies and then as you grow they'll get you with the you know superhero movies and then you grow even more and like your entire life there's just another level of Disney that that can mm-hmm. be catered to you, and I've also thought that like each facet of Disney advertises another facet of Disney. Yeah, so, oh like, yeah, they're you go super to the parks. Synergistic. Yeah, you go to the parks, and all you see is like things that are from their movies. You watch their movies, and like it makes you want to go to the park. You see their merchandise, you know that they yeah. sell in the park. So it's just like oh, yeah, they they give it's every other part cyclical. of their company the chance to promote the other parts, and they're, mm-hmm. they're all working together. I mean, if you look at like. Anytime a worldwide or world trailer premiere is released, you know, oh, trailer one for Doctor Strange, oh, trailer for Civil War, like all these releases, Jimmy Kimmel, ABC. Yeah. 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 It's, they are using their own company, you know, anytime there's That's a... That's crazy. I didn't yeah. think Yeah, they're using that. their own wow. talk show host to get, you know, the ratings and stuff. They're smart like that. They're, they're bringing, they're, they're closing you off from any other thing and they're keeping you on that Disney mind. Remind me, what, what event was it where they debuted the, the Star Wars trailer? Was it Disneyland 60? Was that it? The event was Monday Night Football, which is on ABC. Oh, okay. And ESPN. That's right. That's what it was. The, yeah, the big that's trailer was cool. released during their football night. That they, is They're very smart like that. They, mm. they, they work really hard to keep it in. And yeah, and Jimmy Kimmel has, has, has gotten these big cast interviews and stuff like that. And the whole cast of Rogue One, the whole cast of Force Awakens, they all, all sit down with him because it's, it's under the same umbrella. Mm-hmm. It's all Disney, wow. Yeah, so, they're, yeah, so That's really sharp. their strength is in, you know, that, it's that in constant, the- you know, you're, you, if, you, if you choose to be, every part can be a Disney part. Mm-hmm. It comes down to what they own, which, I mean, also comes down to money. Yeah, which boils down to hard work. I mean, like it was a long and winding road to get. Oh yeah, to where it their is. acquisitions over 
in the early 2000s of Pixar, Marvel. And they're so intelligent the about their acquisitions. Like, just because, and I've noticed this, like, it does make me wonder. Anything that they've had, like, well, not anything, but a lot of things they've had a partnership with, they end up owning. Yeah. And it's like, don't make a deal with Disney because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, well, Pixar was independent until 2003. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like they were hurting. They were doing, they were doing fine. I mean, they are killing it. Exactly. And I but mean, like. But they just bought them for, like, what? Seven billion dollars, and Star Wars is one of the most, probably the most renowned like, oh, movie franchise. I mean, or George Lucas saga. just announced last week that he's going to build a, a museum in L.A. Yeah, uh, the Lucas Museum, completely on his own dime, a billion dollars yeah. out of his pocket. So, like, if a guy's got a billion dollars in his pocket to make a museum, right. He's doing pretty good. Star Wars yeah. is successful solely off of Lucasfilm. Star Wars is successful already. Lucasfilm's successful already with you know all the great movies they've had with Indiana Jones as well as. Um, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So, like, that company on its own was lucrative, and and they still, you know, Disney bought them. So, yeah. it's like, there's always these and partnerships that And if you think about that, that like, up. Pixar was bought for, like, seven-something. Mm-hmm. And they were, I mean, they were doing great. <coughs> but Star Wars, Lucasfilm, was bought for four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Almost half. And same with Marvel. Marvel was a little bit different story. They are kind of struggling. Yeah. But Lucasfilm could have still been killing it. Yeah. Doing fine, not hurting at all, and... I think it was more just like a friendly partnership instead of like a how much money I can get. Right, like, right. Let's just do this for four billion and we both win. Because mm-hmm. most of that money was George's anyways. But yeah, so they're really they're really smart about their their contracts, their partnerships, that who who they're teaming up with. Because mm-hmm. not only did they acquire um, Lucasfilms, but I mean like just <coughs> other things they acquired through that purchase, like Skywalker Sound, dudes, uh, ILM. Sure, I don't Industrial know about Light that. Magic you wanna... is like <laughs> what is that? You Industrial Light Magic is like the computer effects company. Like, I mean, you think of any movie, mostly any movie, <coughs> they're gonna have a part in the special effects of that movie. I mean, they they were like the Jurassic Park, you know, where they made the dinosaurs. They were the first one to like use that like technology to create a realistic dinosaur in the computer in '93. You know, that was you know twenty three years ago. Mm-hmm. And so they're they're like one of the best in terms of that stuff. And so they're gonna they're gonna have a hand in every, almost every movie, not just Disney or Marvel or something, right. but like any kind of high budget movie, they probably worked on the special effects for it. Which I mean, it's, it's Disney just went on bottom. Yeah, well, they were part of the Lucasfilm. Well, they were they part were, of they Lucasfilm. Were, yeah, they were in the branch, the ILM, and then Skywalker Sound, which is, you know, their high quality, you know, sound mixing, you know, stuff like that. Like, um, it was also just state of the art. So, I mean, like, yeah. They, oh, yeah. it's the reason, it's just kind of another reason, like, why, like, Disney gives their audience what they want, but it's also why they're capable of giving them what they want, because they have it all. You know, they have yeah. the right they have, equipment. Not just this they have the right they have people. the best quality of that stuff. Yeah, they have the best quality of everything, and they have the right money to do certain things. Like, um, we talk about this all the time. Practical effects is, like, really important to us, like, within movies, mm-hmm. and, like, a lot of times it's more expensive to actually, like, build a real spaceship, you know what I mean? And, like... Obviously not to scale, but like to build something rather than like put it in through CGI or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looks so much more realistic when you have yeah. actors interacting with real objects like that. And Disney has the money to create something that looks better, you know. Yeah. So, so like you look at the Force Awakens, which they they said a lot in the promotion was like we went we really went back to the real life creatures and aliens and and the real life sets and locations and stuff like that. And there and it was really. You know, service to the fanboys. We're like, yeah, we're getting that real stuff. You know, those real aliens, the real creatures, and we were super excited about that. And you watch it; it looks like it. You know, that thing is real. It's not perfect. It's kind of a little like you know, clunky, but you can tell it's a real thing. They 
you know, and it gives that that love. But at the same time, The Force Awakens is one of the largest uses of special effects. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost every single scene probably has some kind of special effects in it, and yet they found that blend between practical and special effects mm-hmm. that that satisfied both. Without you know the yeah. the you know the original or not the one two three Star Wars was really heavy on the special effects, and that's what a lot of people didn't like. Yeah. Right. And obviously, four, five, six were special on the or heavy on the, the practical because they're from the seventies and eighties. But so then this one like found that perfect medium between both, and and I think it's a serve that got kids and adults, everyone on the same page. Mm-hmm. Th- to give you kind of an idea, my favorite scene to reference when talking about this stuff is a scene from Captain America Winter Soldier. When he's leaving, like, S.H.I.E.L.D. on his motorcycle after having been, like, you know, th- th- oh, yeah. they say he's an enemy because he's figured out the master plan, right? So that. he's leaving, and that airship tries to cut him off, and he just single-handedly takes it down, right? Well, like, within that scene, like, not only is there some CGI, there's special effects definitely going on, but it's blended so seamlessly with real objects, like... Um, Captain America is actually interacting with real things to make it look like he's, you know, actually taking the ship down. And when it actually happens, it just looks so real and beautiful um, because of this this seamless thing that they've done. Yeah, it's I mean, really like, great. look at BB-8. Yeah, you can easily yeah. make that in a computer. Exactly, but and just was, like that was real. have a little tennis ball and go oh, yeah. look at this tennis well, ball. That's yeah. where that's where BB-8's going to be, and just follow the tennis ball, you know, and pretend there's a robot there. But they went out and found a company. And partnered with a company that was able to make a real life BB-8 that actually moved and had a head that was That's you know crazy. That, over the whole body. It, and and I'm not saying that that BB-8 was used throughout the entire movie. They probably had seven or eight different versions of BB-8 for different. You know that's how movies are. They have different versions for close-ups, long shots, fast mm-hmm. shots. You know all you know stuff like that. So you're not always using that BB-8. That's the real life version. Mm-hmm. But they took that extra step to make a real life BB-8 instead of just making you know. Something in the computer, mm-hmm. and which would have been easier and cheaper, right? But, but they had the technology, like, okay, we're gonna make this real, and it shows. But it also it it pays for itself too. I mean, even though you you pay the extra, like that is what people want to see. Oh yeah, and, so. and kids are buying the crap out of BB-8 merchandise. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. You talk about merchandise. That's you. You don't hear that in the headlines. You hear about how much the movie made. You hear about you know how much how many people went to the park this year. You hear about all this stuff, and you don't hear about the merchandise numbers. Yeah. But the reason why they keep making Cars movies, even though like most people didn't really care for the Cars too, kids loved it, but adults didn't really see like the deeper emotional connection that Pixar usually has, is because Cars merchandise makes billions of dollars by itself, mm-hmm. just on the merchandise. And I mean, you you pump out money on that side of the business too, and you're gonna keep making movies for it. So no one thinks about how much money you can make on that stuff. But like Star Wars, they have what do they call it Force Friday, where they release the new merchandise for the Star Wars movies. That's an event now. I mean, that's, that's a hashtag Force Friday night where kid, people will line up at Toys R Us what? in anticipation to, get, to be the first ones to buy the new action figures for the new movies. I mean, they are big events. Wow. I just, didn't know yeah, just. A thing. Mm-hmm. And that's I think. That's a thing. And Disney promotes these, makes them big, makes them these really special things. And you eat, you eat it up and you love it. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it is cool. Okay, so we've been talking a lot about um, how Disney has. Like, where they're at right now. Mm-hmm. What we want to ask you guys is, <clears throat> how did, like, what are some of the things that led to Disney from being at the very beginning, whenever it was just Walt, to where it is today? Yeah. Well, I mean, you look so, at the history of Disney, and it is a roller coaster. It is. There's, there were so many failures. It's actually a real, like, testament to, like, just, 
in the long run, you know, being diligent and yeah. working hard because they were at the bottom of the rung, at, you know, in the seventies. He really and he got ripped off a lot too. What in the twenties? Yeah, uh, like when he. Um, let's talk quickly about that. He he created this character named Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. I don't know if you've heard of him. They a, a recently reacquired um, the rights for this character, but he originally worked for Universal, right? It was Universal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, he was in partnership with them. Yeah. Like, he was supplying he was in, the animation. Yeah, he was an animator for, for Universal. And Charles Minst, right? Yep. Not, I don't want to, not, not months. months. Yeah, but it's, that, it's Mintz. If you've ever seen Up, the character was, I'm assuming the character name was inspired by this real-life person, Charles Minst, who... Um, businessman. Yeah, businessman. I mean, you know, he made a business decision, but it, it, Absolutely. it, it was kind of awful at the same time because he basically said to Disney in a nutshell like we're taking the character you created and you no longer and some of your animators and yeah yeah. and some of your like this part of what the contract stated he's like well these this is our property so Mm -hmm. we're gonna take this and uh we don't really need you anymore so Universal had the rights to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit for decades oh yeah and Disney finally just like recently acquired it again but that was just kind of like a yeah something like we can now but um, but that, that's just a story about how, like, they're, they're really... They're, there was a lot of failures that Disney went through before finally achieving and, the but grand yeah, they, empire. But, yeah, they learned from it, each failure. Like, he realized, oh, now everything <coughs> I do, every movie I make, blah, blah, whatever, it's my property. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to make sure it's my stuff. Like, you know, no matter what. And he, So we don't, he doesn't get hurt like that again. Because of his diligence, like, in, at the beginning of, of him, like, establishing this business, a lot of his employees did not like him because he was mean. Hard, yeah, hard he worker. Was, he was a hard worker, and he demanded hard work. So, I mean, a lot of people did not like him. I mean, I hear a lot and of that, stories yeah, and about that. Yeah, that led to the, the, the Disney strike. The animators you know, went on strike and, like, shut the studio uh-huh. down because they, they weren't feeling like they were getting paid well, fair wages and stuff like that. And that really hurt the company. Cause, and that was during, like, the wartime. So that was mm-hmm. already hurting the World company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, let's, let's talk about World War II. They lost all European markets during World War II. Couldn't distribute films over there. So, like, you know, your maybe Pinocchios, Fantasias, Cinderella's. They didn't get any kind of, like, outside of America box office numbers. So, you know... They didn't make as much as they thought they would because they were shut down over there. So they started, they kind of cut back and went to what they call um, package films. The Make Mine Melody, or Melody Time, Make Mine yeah, Music. The, the wartime era movies are... Yeah, because like they're, they're just smaller Victory shorts. Victory Through Air Power was one, wasn't it? No, that's a propaganda film. That's different. Oh, you're, yeah, you're right. But they make, they make these smaller shorts, put them into a feature-length film... Instead of making one long, you know, Snow White, it's little stories that mm. aren't any, no relation, just that's all they were working on, that's all they had time for and the money for. So they were struggling with that, and then the army moved in to the Disney lot and took over, like, some, some you know, some of the space, because it was on the, it was on the West Coast, so it was like, a, it was a near a base, so they needed somewhere to house the, you know, the army men. So they lost space, you know, they're losing revenue, you know, they don't have all these markets. The war is, you know, hectic for everyone. So that really hurt. And then, you know, after the war, they start rebuilding and stuff. And then they get that strike. And they're still trying to, you know, survive. The strike doesn't help. And the government um, is trying to keep peace with, you know, South America and, you know, we start losing closeness with Russia, you know, the USSR. 
and they're, we're, you know, America's afraid that they're going to start moving into, like, you know, the Cubas and the Brazils and stuff like that, and they're going to start becoming anti-American. So the government goes, well, uh, Mr. Disney, how about you take, uh, they called it a, um, a peace trip, a goodwill trip to South America, um, you know, just go down there and, like, just kind of show up and say hi and just be like, you know, promote America and, and the love that we have for you know, the people of South America. So they fund this trip to go to South America and while the strike is on. So, so Walt's brother Roy is back at the studio trying to figure out the strike and trying to give everyone what they want and still, you know, not hurt the, the company. And Walt's down in South America, took some animators and they're researching and drawing and all this stuff. The, the, cultures and the, the people and everything down there. So not only, you know, is the government profiting because they're getting this goodwill trip that's, you know, connecting, you know, leaders, you know, and like, you know, all that stuff. But then Walt Disney Company is getting info and material for their next movie. Mm. So, you know, then as he come, when he comes back, the strike's over. There's a good movie. There's a good documentary, um, Walt and El Grupo, um, which is Walt and the group which go to Mexico and South America and make these movies that come back and they make um, Saludos Amigos, which is a Brazilian, uh, South American film, and then they make The Three Caballeros, which is more of a Mexican film. That's the one starring Donald Duck and, uh, you know, right. two other birds. So even though they, they're in this, they're, they have this, you know, turmoil at the company, you know, they got to keep moving, kind of got to keep the next thing coming or else mm. they're just going to, they're going to fall apart there. And there were a lot of times of that, just kind of like the trudging through the mud to the next goal. Yeah, just juggling but, multiple balls and if any of them fall, mm. the company's dead. So, you know, there's stuff like that. And then you just get to the 70s after Walt's passing and the company just kind of lost its way. Um, their films just stopped losing quality. It started becoming more expensive to make mm. Hand-drawn animated films. Before that was really like a heyday, though. I mean, I feel like we kind of yeah. skipped over that. With there was a lot of animated films that came out in, the 50s and in between. Yeah, they came back. Yeah, for sure. That sure. they made a lot of really great films, and, and I mean, that's when you have what you have uh, Snow White. Snow White's, Snow White's before the first that. One. That was a very first one? length okay. film. Yeah, you have like your Peter Pan. Um, you have your Jungle yeah. Book. You know what we consider classics. Mm-hmm. You have your mm-hmm. Sleeping Beauties. So then, and that's all. Robin Hood. That. I love Robin Hood. That's Robin all during Hood. that heyday <laughs> time. Yeah. yeah you well, like his heyday. I mean, Disney's Walt, heyday so probably Walt's, came later, arguably. Heyday, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, then, I mean, you, then look at, like, live action-ish, because then he comes out with Mary Poppins, which yeah. people would say is his crowning legacy. Yeah, because um, that is a wonderful That movie. came out right before he died, and he worked eight years to get that movie made. Mm, so seen, that was, like, a labor of love to just push yeah. that thing through. And I don't know if anyone's seen the movie Saving Mr. Banks. I mean, that's kind of what that is about, the making of Mary Poppins. It mm-hmm. was a long process. And worth it. I mean, it won. It won a few Oscars. How many did it win? Five Oscars. I believe. So that's Four more than five. a few. Um, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. And, and it was nominated for. Was it nominated for best picture? It was nominated for best. It didn't picture. win, but it um, won for music and and yeah, it was editing and stuff like stuff like that. Really brilliant movie. Um, and it it was actually Walt who to the record who holds the record to this day. For most Oscars. Yeah, he's got like 24 one. Oscar wins. So he... Which is just... I mean, and then the next guy is eight. Alan. This is bizarre. That yeah. Is it's 24, ridiculous. eight. I mean, the that's closest big is, is eight. <laughs> difference. I mean, he was producing. He was, you know... So people say, you know, what they want about Disney, whether or not they like the franchise. You can't deny that it's quality. I mean, yeah, critics agree. They've been pumping out stuff. I mean... Since back then. They... And they were really... 
I mean, there wasn't a best animated film category in the Academy until 2002, maybe. It's like just within the past like 15 years. So they won a lot of their awards for short films, for animated shorts, and for um, documentaries. They they were really heavy on the nature documentaries. But Which Mickey, they still make you know, Mickey Shorts would win Oscars and stuff it. like that. Pretty much every Earth Day. Like, yeah, they release a, they a Disney, they call it Disney Nature. Yeah. But one of my favorite, one of, I think my absolute favorite Disney short is called Der Fuhrer's Face, which won, <laughs> which won an Academy Award for Best Animated, sh- best animated Short. Um, it was, a, it's, I mean, Disney helped in those wartime efforts. Was They made a lot of propaganda films. Anti-Nazi propaganda. Go America, you know, how can we help the war effort kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they made was called The Fuhrer's Face, which stars Donald Duck um, as a Nazi. And it's it's Donald waking up, putting on his uniform, going to work, building or um, he's in the factory making bullets for cannons. And I mean, he's Highland Hitler. I mean, he probably says it like 40 times. And it's wow. very it's very anti as much as it's very anti Nazi and anti Japanese because um, they just show like he's being overworked and like, you know, the, the brutalness of. You know that regime was using him and stuff like that, and then, it, like, it can actually sometimes. If you were to watch it today, it might make you a little uncomfortable. Yeah, it's it's intense. Yeah, it's pretty and, intense. But it's a really good. Propaganda. It's a really you know weird concept. But during those times, that was what they were producing, mm, right. and it won an Academy Award for it, which I think is is crazy. And the song's kind of catchy. <laughs> but yeah, Donald Duck is a Nazi. People, I've seen people on you know the internet go, "Oh my gosh, do you see this? The dark side of Disney." And you go, "No, no, no, you understand the really context the dark, of yeah. it." Yeah. They were, they were, it was an anti-Nazi film mm-hmm. right. Star, or you, yeah, that Disney was producing. Yeah, they did a lot of that stuff. So you talked about, you know, Walt passes away in the 70s. Uh, 66. 66. You said after that, they kind of lost their way. Yeah. Like, yeah. what well, happened next to... He, well, the last movie that he had hands in was The Jungle Book. And that came out in 66 or 67. And, and just during that time... I mean, every single frame is, you know, hand-drawn, hand-painted. It's filmed, you know, took a picture of, put in the film and all that stuff. And that's a very labor-intensive process. And it starts getting more expensive. And they start trying to find ways to cut corners. So you have, like, your 101 Dalmatians, uh, which has a completely different kind of animation style. Those black lines and stuff like that. They're using, like, the printing stuff. They're using printers now. You also notice a lot of recycled material in Disney movies, yeah, too. to save money. Especially during that time. Yeah. Um, so they're, it's coming. It's getting harder to produce these films, and and I don't know. Maybe after he passed, there wasn't this one person to direct the company. It was you know someone had you know a group had to make a decision of what the best interest was, and it just took them a while to really like, you know, pick up that slack. I, I'd say that eventually the leadership kind of it passed on to his brother. Yeah. Like, oh no, his brother um, was the first one. Roy. Roy. We mentioned him earlier. Roy. He, he kind of went into retirement and just kind of came back out to to start getting these things pushed through that that Walt had a hand in, before including he died. Disney World. Disney World. That's what I was thinking of. Um, so like Walt actually he he had um, <clears throat> Disneyland had opened like while Walt was still alive. Yeah, Fifty. And that's that's the famous speech you know that, that you hear recorded all the time. Like these doors are open. Um, you probably haven't memorized better than I do. To all come to this happy place, we welcome. Go. Disneyland is your land. Here, age relives fond memories of the past. Here, youth may savor the challenge and promise of the future. There we go. 
<laughs> I hope we never lose sight of one thing. Yeah, all that stuff. This is crazy. Anyway, yeah, no, it's 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 really iconic. Like they play it yeah, pretty much right. everywhere you go, any park. Um, but he he came up with the idea for Disney World, but died before really anything could come to fruition. Yeah, so. and he had much bigger plans for oh, the yeah. Florida project. They called it. Um, yeah, it, this whole town, this whole future, futuristic That's city. That's what Epcot like that. originally was. He actually had an idea for it to be literally a community of tomorrow. Yeah, um, and, like an actual community. And when he died, it just you didn't have that one person really spearheading this idea. Mm. And so his brother comes out of retirement, comes back in, and goes, "Okay, let's just push this thing through. Get this thing in there." You know, what what this was what Walt would have wanted, kind of closing the the chapter of his legacy of what he had a hand in. Uh, mm. And I think. Well, Disney World was 71, so that was probably one of the last things that he really had a hand in, because that, that was five years after his death. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> so they kind of hit this rough, this rough spot in the 70s, but what, do you, what, what kind of brought them out of that? Like, well, you, yeah, that's yeah, a good like, question, because like, <laughs> they, they're out? sitting in the 70s, and they're just keeping worse. <laughs> one of the probably the worst Disney movies people will consider is The Black Cauldron. Um, yeah, I like bad, that movie. Bad storytelling, yeah. bad animation, you know. just they It was really lazily done, it looked like. And they probably just didn't have the money to make this movie. And the source material is hard to put into a movie. So that's probably one of their worst movies. And I, if that was early 80s, I believe. So they're, they're still struggling through the 80s. And, you know, they come out with the um, Oliver and Company, which is... A simple movie doesn't have a really intense storyline, you know, stuff like that. And then the next movie is The Little Mermaid. And that that was the turnaround point for the company. Yeah, and this is, um, I, I would even argue it was, it was more than a turnaround point. It's kind of been like a pinnacle for them. Like when Oh, people, if, they, if that movie were going to come out, they might have gone bankrupt. They yeah. would have been bought by someone else. They would have been done. Disney so, would... Wouldn't be what it is today. This is yeah, it is really the the saving grace. Yes, yeah, saving grace. Little Mermaid, but not just Little Mermaid. Everything that followed suit. Yeah, with they that. so they that, made it like a run there. So like they had oh, yeah. a run of yeah. like because yeah. Well, they did. They, and this is they when started going. Oh, they, Alan they found a formula. Really started composing. Went, oh, musicals. Yes. Kids like songs. Mm-hmm. And then they and those were all musical songs. So nothing really before that was really a, a, a musical. So this is it's referred to a lot as the Disney Renaissance. This is really when it yeah they hit their stride. And um, yeah, you said one of the things I think you can contribute to is Alan Menken and yeah you know Howard Howard um, Ashman, oh, who was yes. a lyricist for Little yeah. Mermaid and also the lyricist for Beauty and the Beast. <clears throat> and I and I really do think that was a contributor. They they really nailed down Howard, the composition. Howard music. really pushed. He's like this needs to be a musical. Like he mm-hmm. was he was really good, you know, obviously he's a lyricist, so he's a really good writer of music and he really came up with these songs that really made this movie like drove this movie into a fun, you know, family film, which, you know, and then the next one came out was Rescuers Down Under, but that's just because that one was already in the works. Yeah. And then the next one <laughs> and the next one that came out was The Beauty and the Beast. And then they just kill it. And Beauty and the Beast was the first animated movie to be nominated for Best Picture. Wow. I mean, that's unheard of. I've never thought of. I've mm. never thought of. Yeah, it's, yeah they I mean, they most... considered it on that level yeah. to win Best Picture, not just you know Best Animated Picture, which didn't exist at this point, but Best Picture. Um, and then I, you, yeah, this is really when the huge movies start coming out. Yeah, all, and then this, all the Disney of our became generation, the name like, of a family. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. They, I mean, that, it was an overnight change with the, with that Little Mermaid and that Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's very obvious to see that turn. Mm-hmm. 
And I mean, and it was all, it was just really within like the 90s, like the 90s. Yeah. So and then you have them. your Aladdin's or and The Lion, Lion King, King, which like, is uh, probably one of the biggest movies of all time. Probably, not in terms yeah. of like boxes, but in terms of like known, still good, people are still mm-hmm. watching it and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then all the things it's produced. Yeah. And, and I mean, you also see like now today we're getting a lot of, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but a lot of live remakes of these <laughs> movies. This, yeah, this era um, of Disney so film. It's really, yeah, this this was yeah. really a big a big decade for but, Disney. I mean, and I wonder, I, I was wondering if we would ever talk about this guy um, and how much he played a role in this. With, but Michael Eisner, I was just gonna oh. bring. I was just gonna say, Sorry. let's talk about the let's wow. talk about the heads of Disney during <laughs> the time of the Renaissance. Go ahead, go ahead. Because Michael Eisner was a big reason for this. He was really, you know, like he he became the new chairman of the company of the Walt Disney Company. For the record, I, I've heard a lot of stories about how he and Roy did not get along. Oh no, no, no! no Roy all. basically <laughs> tried to. I mean, this is kind of a stretch, but like, in terms of like governmental, tried to kick him out. Tried to make a coup d'état. Yeah. Like, tried to get the board and he's like, oh, "Dude, get this guy out of here. He doesn't understand the company. You know, my family company kind of thing." Yeah, yeah they were really at at ends, and they kind of reconciled in the early two thousands. But well, that's good because he, he really saved. He <laughs> was really business oriented, and he was like, "Okay, this is a company, and we need to make a profit on this company. But we need to, but we need to, you know, start producing stuff that will make a profit." So he, I think they, you know, invested a lot of money and stuff to pick up these new things, get these new things rolling to to really move the company to get that momentum the films being one of them um he started pushing for that a lot and i mean i mean i don't know if you guys know but disney owned professional sports teams in the 90s no i didn't know that they owned they owned the anaheim ducks hockey Mm -hmm. and they owned the anaheim angels baseball which gets your movies, The Mighty Ducks. The Mighty Ducks. And that's Angels, in the, in, the out- Angels in the Outfield. Wow, it's all coming together. Disney produced those movies because they owned those teams and stuff. And they were, so they were really trying to branch out with these new things and trying to you know, really make a name for themselves, trying to get back into that limelight that they lost throughout the 70s and 80s. How have we never talked about that? I don't know. That's weird. I don't know. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a very profitable. That, that side wasn't very profitable, the right. sports teams. But um, yeah, and then in the 90s, they started... They, um, opened Disney Hollywood Studios and they opened Disneyland Disney's Animal Kingdom um and those and well especially Hollywood Studios wasn't so much of like oh I, I think it's time to open another park it's been you know 14 years um that that was more of like there's competition in our backyard let's mm-hmm. we have to keep up with this competition so they Universal were, they were kind of playing you know catch up Universal right. was creating a mm-hmm. Um, Hollywood themed park and you know so Disney needs to create a Hollywood themed park right. to compete and quick fast forward to today I mean like they're, they're still trying to do that I mean with their acquisition of Star Wars and they're putting a Star Wars land in Hollywood Studios yeah well they they pushed too hard be... for that Hollywood Studios and they never really gave it a it's it's own image yeah and they're, and they're just now trying to they're gonna turn that park around and mm-hmm. make it something that else that park is gonna be huge now with, yeah. with Star Wars land it's gonna be just absolutely so huge so they're they're trying to. It, right the same now it's thing they did with construction, there's like nothing. I, going I feel on. like we're going on so many tangents, but I feel like the same thing they did with <laughs> Disney's uh, California Adventure. They had one idea for this mm-hmm. park, and it didn't really hit as hard as they wanted it to with the with the audience. So in the in like 2008, 2009, they invested like 1.1 billion dollars back into Disney's California Adventure to reimagine that park to. To change everything that was wrong with it, to add new rides, to change entire lands, new theming, and stuff like that, and that's what they're doing right now with Hollywood Studios. Um, and it's a little slower process because they're kind of waiting for these lands to get built—the uh, Star Wars land and the Toy Story land—and then you know, they're, so they're slowly 
piecing together back what is a Disney park in Hollywood Studios. Um, and it's taking a little bit longer, but yeah, they never they they went too fast at the beginning. They lost. They didn't lose the race, but they didn't create enough quality to you know stay ahead of the race. And now they're trying. To, they're going back in and reinvesting in that park mm-hmm. to fix those problems. Okay, so uh, we just have a couple more questions for you. The next one is talk about just the significance that like Mickey has had on like Disney. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah the <clears throat> the figurehead of the company. You know the three simple circles, and everyone knows exactly what that is. The mascot. Um, I, he was. It is from true. The beginning. Just three circles. Is, yeah, is very iconic. simple. From yeah, the beginning, you know, he pretty was pretty big deal. He was making history. <clears throat> First, you know, sound cartoon. First, you know, um, not first colored cartoon, but, you know, he was, they were trying new things with him and, you know, a hit right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he moves into comics and, and more animated films, winning Oscars and all these things. And it was, it was Disney's big thing, Walt's big thing after the whole, like, uh, Oswald fiasco. I mean, he, he really, he caught a lot of fame for Oswald, the creation of Oswald. Yeah, it was, it was very popular for the time. It was. And then. And on his train ride back from New York. He, he when he lost Oswald on his train back, he sketched up Mickey. Yeah, which actually his original name was Mortimer. I know a lot of people know that. Just they fun were, fact yeah. for you, he, he wanted, wanted to name him Mortimer. Mortimer uh, was his wife. Right? Lily was like, mm, maybe I think Mickey's Mickey. a bit more charming, and so, that Mickey was a good was. choice. Um, yeah, that was a good choice. Yeah. So, Mick, yeah. so Mickey was huge. I mean, he is what started the entire the franchise. He's what made it popular. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just that lovable character that everyone enjoyed. The the kind of. Um, the <laughs> to be honest, phrase. it was kind of some slapstick humor sometimes. To be honest, like the yeah, cartoons, and it changed how, but he, it did change. They changed how he is used. Oh yeah, throughout for sure. the decades. Um, but originally, it was just like this charming character that you'd see in, in a lot of cartoons he made. Um, and yeah, he he used his image to create the Disney Empire. Yeah, it's it's huge. Mickey yeah. plays a huge role. Well, well, now let's look at the dark yeah. side of this, right? Um, Mickey was born in nineteen twenty eight. You know, almost 90 years ago. Um, he was supposed to go into public domain in the 80s to where anyone could use him. And yet he still sits in the hands of Disney. Mm-hmm. They, they, think so highly, they think so highly of this character. It moves, you know, it's, it's the blood of this company that they will do whatever it takes to keep him out of the public domain. Um, they've, I don't want to say funded, but pushed legislation that has extended copyright and trademark durations. For the way, it used to be, what was 60 years after... Um, it was like, well, I mean, it's, it's grown a lot. Well, yeah, It was like obviously. 30 years plus another 30 after the creator's death. Yeah, like, that's what like it that. was. So, that's so you get these 60 like 60 from. years, 70 year times. And, and it turned, and they went from not 86... To 2003. So Mickey was going to go into the public domain in 2003. And yet he still sits in the hands. And they were pushing this legislation to keep, to keep him because he's so important. I mean, you think of Mickey, you think of Disney, you think of all, everything that is Disney. Yeah. And he's up for re, re-public domain in 2023. Mm. So in another you know seven years, six years. And will he go? Will he stay? This, I mean, yeah, they, they will, they, I don't think they will stop 
spending money to keep him because he's so important to the it, company. It'd be scary to think what they would become with without him. I mean, we also have him. Those just anyone else can have him too. Well, exactly. I mean, yeah. with without exclusive rights to Mickey, I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. That I mean, would be he's, lost. He's played a big part in in every decade of the Disney company, right? In every in every facet of the Disney company, and that goes back to the whole like just. Why is Disney so successful? I mean, like what I was saying about their contractual obligations, everything that they yeah. they do that is is a business decision, you know. So like when it comes to Mickey, they'll do whatever they I mean, can when they, to keep a hold when of them. They made a deal for merchandise to license Mickey out for merchandise. I mean, that stuff was killing it. You know, those watches, mm, mine yeah. included. <laughs> um, anything Mickey on it, you know, selling selling good, and even so much so that in World War. Two? It had to have been two. They had Mickey Mouse gas masks for kids. What? Gas masks are, no, gas masks are a scary thing, right? I mean, you don't, some kid doesn't want to put this on his face. It's, it's, so they made him look like Mickey. They gave these gas masks two little round ears and um, for kids so that they were a little bit more fun and wow. not so yeah. intense. So, I mean, Mickey has played such a role that, you wow. know, he never, they never had been used, but there are, yeah. there are Mickey Mouse gas masks wow. that were created. You know, that's crazy. Yeah, that's a little that's that's crazy a little to think about. Intense. That. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so if someone <clears throat> wants to learn more about Disney, like what would be a couple of resources that you'd say, hey, go to these couple of things and you'll be able to learn a little bit more about it? Yeah. Like, what do you guys it's, do? Like, yeah, then, well, I've been, like, I've been, you know, interested in Disney for decades. So anytime I just have a question, I just get online and, you know, Wikipedia is a great place to start. Mm-hmm. They don't give you all the information. Uh, there are eclectic sources. I mean, um, a lot of info that I got is also from podcasts, too. I mean, that's yeah, news. speaking realistically. Um, yeah, they, they have, like, Disney news podcasts. I mean, I mean, Disney, there's a big cliche market, or not cliche, niche market for Disney stuff. I mean, there's tons of podcasts out there. There's tons of blogs mm-hmm. just on Disney. Um, People write books, too. I mean, books, yeah. I think I would actually say... Even though, like, oh, we personally haven't read that many, <laughs> there are so many books on the subject that, that really are, like, very thorough. Oh, yeah. So, so how about, like, each of you give us a book about Disney, a blog about Disney, and a podcast about Disney? Um, I don't know so much about books, to be yeah. honest, because most of the information I've gathered hasn't been from reading books. Um, but the podcasts, I'm... I don't want to take yours. I know you're. I have I have several. Okay, good. Then, <laughs> yeah. then I'll then I'll take one then. Um, the Diz Unplugged. I listen to a lot for Disney news, uh, especially recently. And Kyle actually turned me on to that. But one that I listen to a lot. Just it's it's more like Disney nostalgia, like what's happened in the past and and what are some like awesome things that are going on now. That's WDW Radio. Um, Lou Mangiello is the host of that. He's so knowledgeable on a lot of Disney history stuff. So uh, those podcasts. Um, what was another source you said? Blog. Oh, blog. Um, hmm, that I don't. I don't know if I could narrow it down to one. I mean, there's like you could give us quite a, a few. <laughs> but like I, to the point where I don't even think I I could tell you their name just because like there's so many that mm-hmm. I've gone to and read. Yeah, well, I mean, there's um, the official you know the Disney Parks blog. Yeah. That gives you information on the park stuff. Um, and I I use a blog called the Disney Blog, just simply the Disney Blog, which is just some guy, some fan who just you know. Finds Disney news and puts it on a blog. Mm-hmm. And these are things that I mean, you could literally just like Google search, and you know, I mean, yeah. you put in the Disney blog. You know, that's kind of um, easy to find. Yeah, I mean, the, the history of Disney 
is so vast. And I think that's one of the interesting parts is all the hidden, the little facts and, and the, the stories that got them to where they are. Mm-hmm. So the, his, the history podcasts, you know, I listen to a lot of news podcasts on Disney for the current stuff, but there's one I listen to called, it's called Connecting with Walt, which is uh, a history just tells small stories about um, how the park was made or how, you know, they got this thing pushed, you know, how this movie, the behind the scenes um, interviews and all that stuff with Imagineers and animators and people like that. And you can learn a lot just, you know, by looking at the past, you can, you know, really understand the company and it makes it more fascinating um, for sure. What would be a book? A book? I wish I could tell you. I know. There's. I have. I have this really thick book called Disney Imagineering. Yeah, that's the thing. I own a few. I don't yeah. think I've actually ever like read through like cover to cover. Just like seen random facts. Um. Hmm. Yeah. There's. There's one Marty Sklar who was a. Um, who was an Imagineer? Who's one of? Who was like the ambassador of the Imagineers? Wrote a couple years ago called. The. The rules of something and other things and mickey mouse it's his long title i forget but like it's just i mean he he's he was around in walt's days so Mm -hmm. and he wrote a lot of walt's speeches i don't know if he wrote the famous one but like he had he was you know very influential and all that stuff so he had a big hand in everything that went on in the disney universe and he has he has multiple books out i think that tell his stories Autobiographies, biographies are really good on animators. There's tons of animators, you know, famous animators, and biographies that really get into more of a nitty gritty of like the one art style, the one you know movie. Um, awesome. Yeah, yeah, and we'll have some of those in the show notes too, in case you want to find out what those are about. So as we close up, is there anything else that you guys just want to tell us about Disney? That's just burning in your mind. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot, mm. but is there anything that comes to mind? If you haven't gone, go. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. Don't. It's. Uh, I think. I think a lot of people get it in their minds that it is something that's for kids, and that's just yeah. so wrong. It's just wrong. I'm yeah. sorry. It's, like, that's it's not even an opinion. Ki- I mean, let's that's let's let's quote <laughs> Walt here. It's for kids and the kids at heart. Yeah. Oh, yes. Nice. Yeah. Nice. It's. They really have something for everyone. Yeah. Don't be afraid to just have fun. Mm. And even if like. Even if you didn't grow up with Disney, it's still their their business is just based around entertainment. You know, it's yeah. not it's not just for people that grew. up I mean, up they with have Disney Broadway shows. Yeah, you know, they have award winning Broadway shows, and they you know have a cruise line, and they mm-hmm. have Vacation Club. I mean, they are they are just all about entertainment. That's yeah. everything they have is is about something for you. So the, yeah, there is something for everyone. And I remember when I. Um, the, like, span of years when I didn't go, you know, between childhood and high school. When I finally went again, everyone that was going on the trip with me was like, oh, Disney, why? Like, we're not kids. We don't want to go there. And I was, like, so excited. And, you know, everyone just, like, when we got there, just, you know, were, ended up eating their words because they had a blast. You know, And I think, um, yeah, people that approach it so negatively just don't don't really know what all it has mm-hmm. to offer. So I guess that'd kind of be a piece of advice I'd give too, that if like, don't shut it out or dismiss it so quickly just because you think it's for kids because it is not Yeah, no, just quality, quality is uh, for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. They, they don't just, they don't just like, you know, 
appeal to the the young kids in the small minds. You know, look at Pixar. I mean, they got gut wrenching movies that make adults oh, cry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they yeah they're really good about that. And yet kids love these movies, so like they're for everyone. And they've especially in this last decade started pushing that towards the Disney animated films as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the Frozen's are um, and the Wreck It Ralph. And tangled, and they, they somehow able they're able to mingle the deep message with yeah. like un, just some a story that's understandable. Yeah, so, so like the kids can get it too, and the adults are like, "Wow, that's deep." At the same time, yeah, because it kind of goes over the kids' heads. Mm-hmm. So they're they're playing at two different levels here. They're yeah. smart about that. They're really catering to a large audience. Mm-hmm. I remember I when I watched uh, Frozen. I do love Frozen. It's not my favorite of the modern ones, but I do love Frozen. Um, I think a lot of us may have gotten annoyed after hearing quote after quote yeah. and song after song, but when I watched that movie for the first time with my dad, actually, <laughs> I got him to watch that, and he's um, he's a psychologist, so he he thinks a lot, um, maybe too much about movies, but he, he watched this with me, and when, at the end, uh, spoiler alert, I'm sure most people have seen it, though, but at the end, when um, Anna like sacrifices herself for her sister and they talked the whole the whole movie about how only an act of true love could thaw a frozen heart my dad like saw that happen and then Anna you know becomes unfrozen and he says so the act of true love had to be her own and not someone else's so she made that choice to love (coughs) and that's what thawed her frozen heart and I was like yes dad you get it and he's like Oh, that's good. You know, like someone, someone who, who like for a living tells people, like helps people through their very difficult right. times, um, like was able to get a really good message from just a Disney movie, you yeah. know? And I, and I thought that that was great. Yeah. I mean, look at, let's look at Inside Out. Oh, don't even get me oh, started that, on that. That movie show. Oh my I mean, that gosh. shows any kid that it's okay to feel and, you know. There, yeah. you do have and that. It's, it's okay to cry. It's okay to yeah. not feel. I mean, good the all whole. The time. I think the whole. The pinnacle of that movie is joy is all about happy all the time. Always be happy. Mm-hmm. But then she finally realizes that sometimes you have to be a little bit sad to be happy. To be joyful. Yeah. Sometimes you can be both. Yeah. Like it Bigger was. Hope. It's a really yeah. deep movie. Really well done. That that has a really strong message. And a lot of, especially in more recent years, a lot of Disney movies mm-hmm. are like that. Awesome. Well, hey, if anybody, if any of our listeners want to get a hold of you guys, is there a Twitter handle or a social media? Gabe, I know. Gabriel, <laughs> I'm laughing. Gabriel, is like, Gabriel is literally like the anti um, off the grid. But it's, I really, any, I only have Facebook. That's if really there's any, if there's the best any, way. So, yes. Um, um, so I, I got a hold of a, a little handle several years ago that I've been able to use on like every single social media thing I ever have. So. Um, it's Kyle5359L, K-Y-L-E-5359L, at Twitter, uh, Instagram, Gmail, Yahoo, iCloud, Live, <laughs> I mean, He's way Snapchat, <laughs> they're all, they're all Kyle5359L, so if you just, if you just use that and any social media platform, I'll probably be there. Awesome, awesome, and Gabriel, good luck Gabriel finding me. Just look Gabriel up on Facebook. <laughs> Yeah, Gabriel's Gabriel's funny. Well, hey, thanks, guys. We really appreciate no, it. No, thank you. This was yeah. this was fun. It was awesome. Yeah, awesome. If you want to learn more about some of the resources that Kyle and Gabriel mentioned, you know, the podcast, the blogs, the websites, um, feel free to check those out in our show notes. Show notes are a great way to, to continue the conversation and to, and to better prepare yourself either to listen 
or afterwards to kind of review some things that you've heard. Basically what show notes are is it's it's part of the podcast where you can actually go in and we just have links, we have quotes, you can actually tweet these quotes out um, directly from the show notes. Um, and it also just has any resources that were discussed within the podcast, which means that any websites, um, articles, books, other podcast links, whatever was talked about, it's actually all there in the show notes. We've put it there specifically so that you guys can grab that and check it out either after or during or before while you're listening. Yeah, and if you're listening to an episode right now, we'd love to hear from you. So hit us up on our Facebook page or on our Twitter account and just let us know that you're there and that you're listening. Now, on our next episode, we're going to be talking about the topic of living out your dreams. And we have a great guest on our podcast next week. So a great guy that we met recently, his name is Ethan. Um, he, he just, he, he's got a crazy story and we just wanted to, to kind of find out more about that. And uh, so what we're going to be talking about, it, he's going to be sharing his story on next week's episode. And, and you guys are going to, uh, I think, really enjoy this interview. All I'm going to say is that he's planning on hiking the Appalachian Trail. And the best way to make sure that you don't miss our next episode is by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. If this podcast has helped you in any way, leave us a rating and write a review on our podcast on iTunes. If you want to continue the conversation, you can like our page or comment on our Facebook page or follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at the Learners Corner or follow us on Twitter at our handle at Learners Podcast. Until next time, keep learning, keep growing. Keep growing.